0: Hi. This is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? Welcome to Social Jello with Angelo, a podcast about psychology and martial arts. If you like what you see and you like what you hear, hit subscribe, hit hit like and Turn on your notifications so you can hear more about martial arts and psychology. Uh, today, I'm here with Mitch Powell. And Mitch, we had a conversation. If you haven't, this is the first time you see Mitch here with me. Um I've had Mitch on the show a few times now. And you can kind of see here or here, depending on how the camera does that, the previous episode so you can see some of the Kajukembo history. Uh, Mitch is the, is this title official KSDI historian? Is that? Okay. yeah that's correct yeah all right so he is the ksdi historian um for those of you that follow this show it's your first episode um kaju was a martial art started in hawaii it's an american martial art and mitch is holding on to documents that he looks at that have been in an archive and he looks over these documents and kind of really has the history of kaju Kembo i'm sure other guys out there do as well but um Mitch is one of the people I turn to whenever I have questions about history because like I was telling Mitch I don't have names and dates and I usually I usually fuck that shit up so that's why I have Mitch here to help me (laughs) so like (laughs) so Mitch um today's episode uh we don't know how long this is gonna how long we're gonna talk about this but uh we want to kind of get into it um today's episode is about George Chain. So uh, the title, by the time I record this, it's a working title. It might be, you know, Clarifications of George Chang or George Chang and Kaja Kembo. And the reason we were making this episode was because on the original episode, number 107, which you can see here, uh, we talk about Kaja Kembo, Mitch's role in it, like I opened up earlier and George Chang comes up and uh, one person comes in to the comment section and said George Chang was not on the army boxing team. And uh, this was verified by his daughter, is what they said. Uh, the comment came from uh, the Doruma. Thank you, uh, Mr. I don't, I'm sure that's not real, your real name, brother, but uh, whoever you are, thank you for bringing that to light. Um, like I said earlier to you, I would bring this up to Mitch. And so I'm just going to hand this over to Mitch and uh, have Mitch clarify what was going on here. Right. So,
1: with Kaji Kimbo, we know that Peter Chu is a well-documented boxer. You can find his fight clippings from 1944 all the way up to 1952, uh, except for 48 when he it doesn't look like he was in Hawaii at all, and then he came back in the end of 49. You can pretty much find a, a fight for him, maybe one or two every month. We also have photographs of him being on the Ford Shafter army boxing team, and his teammate, was another Kajikimo co-founder, Frank Wardenets, who's also photographed and is well-known to be a member of the Army boxing team. When you look at the George Chang name and you try to do historical searches, we run into a problem because there are three George Changs fighting in Hawaii, boxing in Hawaii on separate clubs. I even have one article where it says George Chang fights Peter Chu. So when I first saw it, I thought, oh wow, this is incredible. Two Kajikembo co-founders and they fought each other, and it all makes sense to me now, stuff, right? Um, through further research and following that that particular boxer, you, you can tell it's not George Chang from the Kaji Kembo history. It's a different George Tang. This person, I believe, goes on to a university, etc. So, in doing this, this informational like collection. I spoke with John Bishop, who is also a historian on Kaji has interviewed C. Joe Amparato, Adriano Prado uh, numerous times, has videos that you can find on the Internet, on uh, YouTube, etc. And we were talking about George Chang and, and John thought that that George uh, Chang might have fought on the army boxing team, along with Peter Chu and along with uh, with. Um, Frank Lourdes. And one of the reasons why maybe we thought that was true is because George Chang's brother was a sergeant assigned to the 972nd Signal Corps, which is where those guys were assigned. So if you look at it from that perspective, you would think, yeah, that that would make sense. But I know you have this this one uh, person who viewed and made a comment, didn't think so. and and believe that comment was based off of one of George Chang's family members, maybe a daughter. Family members are probably the most accurate for information. Because when you start talking story, uh, things get changed, rearranged, new things get introduced into it. So I know from my record search that George Chang played basketball at Farrington High School. And he got a letter in basketball. I have all that stuff, information, all that information documented here. And uh, he went into the Army in 1946. Uh, at the time he went in the Army, his brother was a sergeant, 972nd, stationed at Fort Shafter. Uh, Chang became a crewman of a 40-millimeter gun in the 867th. So we know that much about George Chang. We also know that he went into the Marines after he discharged from the Army. And only a little bit of information can be found about George Chang when you're searching. All of the Kaji information that we have found related to George Chang appears to be incorrect. There's a lot of suggestions that he went to China with his father, that he learned Shilam gongfu Fu while in China, that he came back to the U.S. with this knowledge. Well, David Tavares, in his book, The Black Robe, interviews George Cheng's sister and learns that that information was not correct at all, that George Cheng actually learned Kung Fu while he lived in Kalihi. He started when he was 16 years old. He learned a form of Kung Fu called Hakka. So uh, his teacher, uh, Wang Fat, was a guy who taught out of his garage. In Kalihi, so for the information that, uh, and I should uh, being disrespectful here, it's Grandmaster David Tavares, might might even be senior Grandmaster. Um, I'm using his name loosely. Uh, for the information that he he was able to get from a family member, we know a very uh, a lot more. It's very very more accurate than what we knew before. There is no Silom kung fu that came from George Chang, who is often misnamed as Clarence Chang. You'll see that on a lot of websites. Clarence Chang this, Clarence Chang that, silum Gong Fu. Uh, George Chang's his name. No Silom Gong Fu. It's, uh, if anything came from George Chang, it would be Hakka. And we don't know how much influence George Chang had on the early development of Kaji Kimbo. I'm going to have to say there must have been some significant influence because Adrian Imparato names George Chang as a co-founder of Kaji Kembo So if that wraps up that information, uh, maybe uh, John Bishop can provide some additional information on, on this. But from my perspective, I haven't been able to find anything that says of the several george changs that were boxing in hawaii at that time that that we found our our george chang from kajakimbo so i i I think i think the most accurate would be what grandmaster david tavares has found so far
0: all right so if you were listening to this clarification um the final point there there are no documents yeah you're right for the commentator you might you there's a very big possibility that you are correct especially if and here's the problem right i got an anonymous comment from somebody some mysterious person who may or may not know i'm just gonna take i like to take things as this is what people always ask me like when i when i get comments and how i respond to them like i just take them for face value okay i'm just gonna be uh i'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt so whenever someone comments something and if it's not derogatory like you know you're a loser or you're you're a clown yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you should never be on the radio yeah. again no yeah. podcast for you yeah you, you, you're a loser that would never work That would never work in the streets you suck like, it's not, like it's, not, it's not straight out derogatory i will always give whatever the person's telling me um face value and the benefit of the doubt that you are who you say you are so if you are who you say you are and you do know his daughter and his daughter said that, yeah, you're, you're actually tapping on something that, um, that
1: I think, I think the person's correct.
0: Yeah. yeah whoever t- it is. Yeah. Whoever you are. Um, also for those of you commenting on my YouTube channel, uh, it's up to you if you want to stay anonymous, but if you put your name on there, I will put your name out there, especially if it's something positive like this. I I'm not someone to like, <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't like. I don't tear people. What's it called? What's it called? Doubt Doxing. Is that what they call it? Right. Doxing. When you. When you really, it, it's like the new term. I don't for, know. Yeah, I think it's doxing. It's when you grab someone, and uh, and you attack them online with a bunch of other people. It's called doxing. So yeah, I don't. I don't dox people. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not like that.
1: I, I really so think, um, based on our interviews, all we're trying to do is get information. Yeah. We're just trying to pull out information that we can find. I mean, on our last one, when we talked about the Kaj Forums, we asked folks for assistance. There's a lot of unknown information, and some will always be unknown, but of the stuff that we're able to locate through Ancestry.com, through Newspapers.com, through personal documents and stuff, we all learn a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that pretty much my... For this, for this show, I mean, I talk about psychology, I talk about martial arts. I'm always just looking for narratives, not just in kajakumbu, but across martial arts. Like there's just certain narratives that you can find. And I, I like to look at those and see what I, I, I like to, pref- I prefer, <laughs> I prefer to focus on the on the common points instead of the differences. Because I think a lot, it's really easy. It's really easy to become what I call a stylist because we all, we all start martial arts in this. Oh, yeah. So anybody listening to this, we're about to deviate from George Chang. So if you're, if you're yes. listening to George Chang, there you go. You can hit stop. If you want to continue, I have a few more things I want to talk about. I want to talk about William Chow. Is that his name? William Chow? Did yeah. I say that right? Emperorado's instructor, yeah. Okay. I want to talk about William Chow and self-promotions. And I also want to talk about... I also want to talk about... Um, about the commonalities in martial arts and stylists. So I'm gonna to go to this next topic here, uh, stylism. So like, I don't know, as a kajukenbo guy, I'm gonna ask you an open-ended question. Do you feel you are practicing a style? I do when I
1: practice a particular method of kajukenbo. In other words, uh, I came up in the Tony Ramos system my first ter- teacher was uh, was Tony Ramos, and from him I also learned from Calvin Shin and Emo Bautista, three Kaji Kimbo Ramos method stylists. Right, one's the creator; the others are his some of his first black belts. It's a it's a style; it goes a certain way. Uh, Tony Ramos had a certain movement that you would try to emulate. Uh, he was very, very fast, something I never was able to emulate. Um, then from there, I learned the Emperado method, which was handed down to Joe Davis through Aleo Reyes. Aleo Reyes was a direct student of both Joe and Adriano Imperado. That, to me, is a style. So within the umbrella of Kaji Kimbo are multiple styles, Gaylord method. Right, And then there's offshoot styles where other people have created their own versions of Kajikembo. But I do think each one is, is specific to the actual teacher because that teacher is trying to share stuff with you. Imperato kind of had some rules to his Kajikembo. When he did multiple man attacks, he only used kempo. He never grabbed a hold of anybody. It was hit and run, hit and run, hit and run. When he did weapons, if he's being attacked, you know, by a knife or a club, his two main weapon defenses, he would always control the attacker's arm. So he had a certain flavor uh, of the way that he would respond uh to defend himself. And Tony Ramos was similar to that. He had his own flavor. So I think you look at, at least from my perspective, you know, as a specific style. I trained in jujitsu from Wally J. So Small circle jiu-jitsu, when I was first getting into law enforcement, uh, that was very beneficial to me. It was not Danzen Roo, although Wally Jay was a Danzen Roo practitioner. Small circle jiu-jitsu was very different. So he had stylized it to be a certain way to follow his philosophies in his training. Um, you know, you look at, like, a lot of people do doce paris, especially Kembo guys. That's their stick systems. And there's different versions of Dulce Paras. I do the Kokoi Kenyete version. My teacher's Ron Lu. Uh, from Ron Lu, you have Wally Estropia and Tetsutelo that were all under uh, Kakoi Kinyete And they do their sticks a certain way. But I also have uh, one of the students in our group, Tim Mills. He's under Diony. He's under the other family side. Their sticks are a little
0: different. It's still Dulce Paras, but it's stylized.
1: So, so those are my personal
0: to, examples. So I'm going to take a step back, and if you're not a karate kempo person, you're listening to this. <laughs> and let's say you practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu, something that everyone kind of in the modern sphere, like they know what I'm saying when I say that. You just heard him say <laughs> sticks, knives. We heard kempo. We heard strikes. We heard... So anybody that comes from like a style, and this is how this is how I say it, like just in general terms. And I don't want to jump into what is Kaju kempo. I always say this when I start talking about this. <laughs> I don't want to jump into that. I have a whole podcast on that. Please listen to that. I don't want to go there right now. A lot of people start martial arts in a specific style, like Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai kickboxing, especially right now. like Those are those three right there are the names that anyone who might have not done any martial arts and just listening to this, they'll recognize those three names. Um, And those styles are very specific to a very specific goal. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu being uh, defeating the person on the ground with Newaza or ground grappling, ground fighting, a very specific type of ground fighting. If you're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, gi Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you are going to be doing these chokes and locks based on grabbing onto a dogi, which looks like a giant pair of pajamas. Um, If you're doing Muay Thai kickboxing, your goal is to knock out the guy most likely with your legs or punches but they do emphasize the roundhouse kicks so you're going to be mostly doing a lot of roundhouse kicks you're going to be wearing short shorts and no shirt or maybe a t-shirt and that's what you're doing it's very specific it's a style um if you're doing taekwondo you're going to be wearing a white gi and you're doing a lot of kicks very little punches and you're trying to do it's in the olympics so you're trying to get points and it's very specific there's a very specific style so as a person learning stuff, if a taekwondo guy were to turn around to his instructor and say, Hey, but what if the guy tackles me to the ground? Then what? The Taekwondo instructor's answer is gonna be like, then get back up. Cause then you or or you failed. So, you didn't kick him actually, on the way in. You didn't kick him on the ta- way in. <laughs> most taekwondo most
1: taekwondo teachers would tell you don't let them tackle you yeah to don't tell ta- you
0: yeah, don't let them tackle you to the ground <laughs> but what happens if they already tackle me to the ground What about, but you have to get back up because <laughs> <laughs> get up as quick as you can yeah as quick as you can because you're in trouble so like right and then um, and then oh like, and then on the flip side uh, I, I was just watching I signed up for the Brazilian uh, I signed up for the Gracie Academy online series the master's class just to see uh, how, their, how their specific Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu compares to the Gracie Baja Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that I've been studying for a while. And um, one of the things that comes up was like, we have people ask us all the time. And this was, uh, this was like the, 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 the two brothers that came up under, I think it's Rainer Gracie. I might be messing up the names. But either way, one, one of the founders of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in America, um, his sons are talking about, well, people ask them all the time, what do I do against multiple attackers? What do I do against multiple attackers? And, and their answer was pretty much don't. They went in a long spiel of what you should like. They, they try to get one on, try to get them to fight you one on one, but most just don't. And then they're, and then I, I love their answer after that was if anybody tells you that they have an answer for multiple attackers, they're lying to you. You should never do much like that person. <laughs> and again, it's this is these, these narratives, and I, as, a, as, a, as a someone who studied psychology, I'm really interested in these narratives because these, these are very stylistic narratives. Right? The taekwondo guy said, Hey, don't let them tackle you and get back up. The Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy said, Don't get into a fight with multiple attackers and don't even bring up weapons. Don't just don't do that stuff because <laughs> it's a style, it's a style, it's a stylistic approach right it's 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 an approach it's a perspective based on this is the style i'm working with so i'm only going to work within the ranges and rules based on my style so oh, when you I, when i look at kaju kemba i don't see that like <laughs> we, we we hear that and we're like wait 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 we're not going to tell you no we're going to have to figure something out like let's let's go on the mat let's see what will work so like, well, what, what is in your case you have the historical documents and all the stuff we have people in our in our in our groups that do other stuff like they do uh Filipino martial arts, FMA, they, they come from that that camp of thinking. We have people who train military and police. So we're gonna go in there, we're gonna find someone in our in our circle, be like, Well, what do you do if a guy shows up with a knife? Or what do you do like if a guy is who had a current club, or what do you do in these situations? Okay, and then they'll be honest with you. They'll, you know, you have a low survivability rate, but hey, this is <laughs> it's, here's something instead of telling you don't or stand up or run away yes those are answers but we have people that we can turn to that have researched and worked with people in those circumstances i guess that's what i'm trying to get at where where i see the
1: direction that you took this conversation is there's layers to all of this stuff that you get to learn if you're a new student and you come in and you're trying to learn let's just say Kaji Kimball, right we'll teach you knife defense and we'll teach club defense But once you get that black belt level, you need to move on and you need to, in this case, I I studied, you know, Filipino martial arts as well. So the blade and the stick from a different perspective, but there's two, there's basically two types of attackers. There's a person with a knife and there's a person who has a knife that knows how to use it. Those are two different attackers. When I worked at the Oakland Police Department, I could count, I know half dozen or more times where someone tried to stab me with a knife and the defense against it was actually relatively simple in each, each instance. That's because they, they weren't knife fighters. Now had I squared off with some guy who was a knife fighter, i more than likely would have had to pull my gun out and shoot him. So while you're learning, you're learning how not to get cut and how to control the arm if you can how to disarm, if you can, et cetera. And then once you get that under your belt, you're now, as a black belt, you're not a badass. That to me is your first opportunity to now really learn what you're doing. So you gotta get to that point. And then you need to learn more about your grappling. You need to learn more about your striking. You need to learn more about your knife defense and you need to learn to fire a gun. You need to learn disarm guns, et cetera. There's a whole nother aspect. Then you need to learn tactics. When I was a police officer, we did tra- with tactical training and I would take that back into the school. And when I was teaching my students, we do tactical based training um, as far as uh, going to the point where we're giving commands just like I'm at work. Stay on the ground. Don't get up. If you get up, I- I'm going to hurt you anything like that. So. You don't go into a martial arts school, you see somebody do a self-defense technique and watch the other person say, stay on the ground, don't get up. But you'd hear that in my school because the verbal commands are all part of it. And also, if there's a camera, somebody's running a cell phone, you want that. And the guy gets up, they're instigating it again. You can still become, you know, the victim in this, even though you just dropped him on the ground. So, all of that for every art has that next level, whether it's taekwondo, Tong shotokan, uh, you know, Gracie Jiu Jitsu, etc. The Gracie guys, they need to learn how to punch, they need to learn how to block, right? On the ground, they'll swell you up, choke you out, break arms, but standing up's different. I, I remember, I don't know if it was a Gracie guy or a Machado guy that came over to my school one year and you know, he trained the first half with it, which was like 45, 50 minutes of bag work, pads and bag, bag work. And then we're going to the second half, and he goes, he's all eager. He's got no ears, so you know what's going on, right? And he goes, so who do I get to fight with? And I said, we're going to fight those two guys. He goes, all right, which one of you guys first? And I said, not first. You're going to fight both of them. <laughs> You're going to fight both and, of them. And he looked at me like, well, how are we going to do that? I said, you're going to walk over there and you're going to get in the middle of that mat and you're going to fight those two guys. And he was not having that. He said, no, no, I just want to roll around with somebody. I go, of course you do. We're not going to do that today. So, you know, you can't always go into the arena you know you're going to win in. Because you don't get any challenge out of that. You got to go to that next level where someone's going, hey, dude. You're good, but you're not that good. You need to learn this now. I, I got my lesson from Ted Sotelo. You know, I was a uh, high-ranking Kaji Kimmel practitioner, trained all my life, you know, uh, law enforcement, all that kind of stuff. And Teddy could just eat, he could eat me up and two three other guys at the same time. I don't care who you were. If you came into that room, you went into that infamous garage at Ted Sotelo's house, you are going to get licking. And he laughed while he was doing it. Nobody ever came to that level of challenging him. And I have multiple stories that have been confirmed of people who tried. And I'm talking about legitimate people that were, you know, considered to be pretty badass. And they left dents in the refrigerator and holes in the wall. And they left their
0: pride there too. I'm going to pause you right there. So another narrative. (laughs) So I told you, I love looking for narratives. I look, look, commonalities in Kajakambo. I was just telling this. So there's two things you mentioned: um, the holes in the wall. When I interviewed uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor Stefan Casting, who's also a Kajukenbo black belt, he's a, he's under uh, Philip Gelinas. Um, and he's on the Kajukenbo tree. So for any of you any BJJ practitioners who have gotten instructionals, because he's he, that's primarily what he does BJJ. But when I interviewed him and, he, and I asked him about when he first started doing Kajukenbo, because he didn't Kajukenbo before he did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I said, well, you well, know, he came from a Kung Fu school and he ended up going to a BJJ, going to a Kaja place. And he mentioned the same thing. I saw holes in the walls. <laughs> <I> came, <laughs> Hackleman says something similar when he walked into uh, G- Godin's place. He's like, saw holes in the walls. <laughs> holes in the wall. And it's funny because I was just training one of my friends. Um, he's about, to, he's, he's a few, he's only a little bit away from his brown belt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he recently asked me, um, and he's one of the people I co-train with in BJJ. He's like, I, w- I want to start doing Kaju Kimbo. I'm like, all right, um, let's go. Let's get you started slow. We're going to start work strikes. I don't have a lot of time to work with you because we're pretty much working with 15 minutes during open mat time right before I go to work. So it's very Kaju, you know, Kembo being taught in garages and <laughs> on lunch breaks and shit. This is very much what it is. I'm like, all right, we just got done a BJJ class. I have 15 minutes before I got to go to work. I'm going to try to cover as much as I can. You're going to have to do a lot of homework on your own. But in those 15 minutes, it's going to be a little intense because I don't have that much time. So we're just going to be like, here's how to, here's some basics, how to, how to deal with some striking. Here's some basics, how to punch. And then I'm just going to test you like right away. Let's do it. So we're sitting there and I tell them uh, yesterday, well, two days ago, so Sunday in Japan on Friday, I said, all right, we're going to, I want you to bring in, we finally got to that stage. We did we did the grappling with the striking. Okay. First let's do grappling with striking. And we're going to do a little MMA style to kind of ease you into it. So we'll do light contact. Um, you know, we're going to be in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu position, something you're familiar with, but we're going to be punching each other. And he's like, man, even though you were on the ground, it's so different. I didn't have a lot of time. Well, how much time did you have to think? He's like, I didn't have a lot of time to think. Like every time I'm about to set something up, even though you're on the bottom, it doesn't hurt. I'd punch you in the face. You punch me in the face. And I'm like, and he's like, and it didn't hurt. It just annoyed me. And, I, and it made you angry. He's like, yeah, and I got mad. And then." what was your plan after getting mad he's like i don't know like it made you not think like you could not no longer set up your next even though you experienced in bjj you couldn't really think about what's my next move because you were so mad <laughs> and then i would have something else behind that like okay that's good that's a good step so the next time we did kickboxing we're just gonna do he's like can i clinch if you want if you want if you can get that far you can, you can, you can clinch. We're not going to do any takedowns because we don't have a lot of space for today. No takedowns, but just, you can clinch. If you can if you come in with your Brazilian juice to clinch, go for it. And I just taught him some basics. Here's how, here's how to block a punch. Here's how to defend a leg kick. Here's how to check a kick. Okay, let's go. And when we got done, I'm like, how come you didn't clinch? He's like, I, I couldn't even think like, again. I could, every time I thought about maybe clinching, you'd kick me in the back of the leg or you punched me in the face. Yeah. And I totally forgot and We're going light again, light. I said 10%. We're going to keep everything at 10%. Because you're getting started and I don't have a lot of time. So finally on Friday, okay, we're going to do Kaji Kimbo sparring today. He's like, I'm really looking forward to this. We're like, okay. <laughs> so, so what are the rules? There are no rules. You can even keep your gi on. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Keep, your, keep your Brazilian jiu-jitsu gi on. All the stuff you learn, grab in the sleeve and chill. if you can get that far, go for it. We're going to put the MMA gloves on again, 10%. But today we can't, we normally train. The, the, the space is really small and there's like a little office desk here. And uh, I don't said we can't train next to the office desk. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like You don't want to
1: bounce off of that. Yeah,
0: no, no. It's good. First of all, we want to try to go to the most padded area of the dojo so that if we end up in the walls, we don't get any holes in the walls because <laughs> I know the Jiu Jitsu instructor is not going to appreciate holes in his walls. <laughs> so, so we went to the corner of the room where everything's padded and we got started. And again, same thing. He said, I thought he finally figured out he can grab my sleeve to stop a punch. Okay. But he realized, even when I grabbed your sleeve to stop the punch, it didn't stop you from hitting me with the other hand, and I still had a hard time. We, we never even get to do any grappling. But again, like this narrative, and like, he's he's really excited, he's super excited to be doing Kambo. But it goes to what you said, and I think it goes with um, this is the Socratic method, right? Socrates said, "I know that I know nothing," right? That was that was that was one of the things he said, and and, and that was like the philosophy of his entire school i know that i know nothing meaning he's going to ask questions to try to find his truth and sometimes he trap people with this with that idea but i think i like to just again look at this as when you go in to a kajikembo school or any martial art for that matter you come in knowing nothing in kajikembo i don't know if it happens i can't speak for the schools because i haven't gotten a black belt yet in another style but in kajikembo you start off knowing that you know nothing. You go in there, even if you knew something, you're going to realize that whatever you knew is different from whatever's happening in this arena. And then you get your black belt and you start feeling like, hey, I know something. I, I I'm, I'm figuring something out. Like I'm figuring out, I had these goals and I'm, I'm achieving them. And then you get to your black belt test and then you start and you get your black belt and the test is meant to break you and not break you like, break you break you but the test is going to remind you again that you know nothing <laughs> you're gonna walk away feeling like okay i learned these things they taught me but there's a lot more that i need to learn and in your case my instructor said the same thing now it's time to make now it's time to refine your kajukembo you have a black belt you understand this but you still have to refine it by training and other stuff you're going back to that I know nothing. And it's funny, you mentioned styles earlier. I'm going to take this back to what I come from the Abad method. And something that Shizu Al and Abad always said was, when you get your black belt, you're just starting all over again. Well,
1: it's that place where you get to start from. You know how to kick. You know how to block. You know how to punch. right? You can do a wrist lock. You can do an arm bar. You can do a, a you know, hip throw, etc. Um, I don't have to teach you that now. But just following your your train of thought there, not all schools teach the same way. Not all Kajukenbo schools teach the same way. There are philosophies that the creators put in there. Primarily, uh, C.J. Emberrado put in there that don't get handed down from teacher to student. The the three main uh, you know attack, defense, and uh, and escape concepts. Uh, those are part of your techniques. Those are your three levels. You can escape first, then you can control, and then you can attack. So, if you understand that when you're doing your forms, you can at least look at w- your movements as hey, am I escaping? Am I controlling? Am I attacking? Right? Kaji Kimball, when you're on offense, is about speed, accuracy, and power. Those are your three goals to develop your speed, your accuracy, and your power. You want to be fast. You want to be accurate. You want to have some some power in that strike or kick that you're throwing. So if the teachers aren't teaching that stuff, then they're just going through techniques. They're not going through techniques looking at, hey, am I escaping, controlling, or attacking? Hey, is my speed good? Is my accuracy good? Is my power good? Not developing drills to get those better, etc. So even though you and I can do the same exact techniques and forms, If my training is focused more on the actual philosophy of the Kajikembo, I can get more out of it. So that also comes to that point where you got to go and study the attacker in Kajikembo. So in the Imperato method, the attacker has been studied. I've broke down all the DNA, and the attacker's right-handed. They know how to punch. Sometimes they grab you. They may grab you with one hand or two. They may actually bear hug you, but it's from the back. The knife attacker is always right-handed. The club attacker is always right-handed. The attacks are generally from the front. So the attacks in your system set up your ability to defend. If you've never seen an attack from, you know, the right side, and all of a sudden some guy is attacking you from the right side, it's going to be awkward. So whatever your attacker does, whatever your, your school is set up as far as techniques formed, you know, et cetera, that's the stimulus. That's what you respond to. So that's the self-defense part of it. But then you got to go, well, wait a minute. What if I want to know how to fight? Well, now you better start practicing your hands. You better learn to, how to box. You better learn how to strike right. Now you better learn how to do stand-up grappling and then ground grappling. Then you need to learn how to deal with an actual fighter who knows what they're doing with a stick and a knife. And all of a sudden, you realize from a legal perspective, you don't want to disarm anyone. You want them to be hanging on to the knife, but you want it stuck in them. So instead of parry, you know, wrist lock, disarm, you want to parry wrist lock stick. You want the bad guy to be hanging on to the knife when when they get stuck inside of them instead of trying to disarm them and fight a guy over a knife. Or maybe you don't get it disarmed and you end up getting yourself, your arm cut off or something. We had an attack yesterday here in Vegas. Guy was up uh, by the strip. He felt offended by uh, some folks up there and he took a knife out and he stabbed eight people and took off running. Two people are dead. So along with knife training is also not knowing the bad guy has a knife and when they have a knife and it's pulled out instantly and they start stabbing which i think is more consistent with what happened to joe imperato when he got killed um it's you it's one thing to have a guy stand in front of you with a knife saying hey man i'm gonna i'm gonna kick your ass or you know i'm gonna kill you or whatever than to have the invisible knife attack and you trying to figure out what's going on and defend against that. So we were talking about styles, and with every style, there's there's the good stuff, and there's the stuff that's missing. Kaju has missing pieces. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has missing pieces. Same with Tang Shido, same with Shotokan. They all have missing pieces. You're not going to get everything you need out of one style, and the things you need are going to be based on the habitual acts of violence that you see in modern times today. What's going on in in the U S today, there's gun attacks, knife attacks. uh, There's multiple people attacking one person or, you know, group on group, et cetera. You look at those things and you want to have defense for that stuff. So ultimately your goal is to train as long as you can learn as much as you can and pass on information that you think is valid to other people. The problem with passing on knowledge to knowledge is as a teacher, I'm going to teach everything that was taught to me as far as forms or techniques. Well, not all of that, I consider to be the best. It's not the best, you know, we have umpteen uh, self-defense techniques against a puncher against a guy with some hand skills, right? Not every technique is the best, but that's because I'm 5'10, 180 pounds. At one point, I was 5'10", 220 pounds with a lot more muscle. Those techniques that I, I learned, a certain amount of them, I like them more as a bigger person. As a smaller person, I don't have the same strength, but I can't muscle them around the way I would. So I have to work, you know, look more with finesse and control, et cetera. So based on your size, some of those techniques will work for you. Others will not. And, and so you, now you run into that. And then based on forms, if you don't know the applications and your teacher's guessing, well, I think it's this, I think it's that, and they're wrong, even the applications you're learning might not be valid. So there's always missing pieces. Whether it's the history or the forms or the techniques or the philosophy, there's always missing pieces. And I think what we do, even on a show like this, is try to share to the to the you know person that's wanting to learn. Hey man,
0: go out and look for those missing pieces. Yeah, and that, that's all that's all I really want people to do is keep an open mind. Okay? And yeah, like like I said, that's that's what I, that's all I would really want. And that's what I I love to see my uh and I don't want to go into another side topic here. I'm just going to mention my pet peeve is seeing someone who's closed-minded. Um and it's because it, they only remind me of myself. I was closed-minded when I first started doing martial arts. I was closed-minded. Um, I had a specific set of goals that I wanted to reach. And I thought that I had not, I thought, that was my first mistake. I thought I had what I needed. Um, and it wasn't until I experienced more that I realized there was still more things to be learned. And then me, myself and my own personal journey, I, I've, I've always come back to the point that, um, I figure who says that I fear I don't fear I, I know what I know I know what I don't know I don't know everything like what Socrates just said and then there's I worry about what I don't know I don't know. <laughs> Does that, does that make sense i worry about what i don't know i don't know like layers of i don't know <laughs> i worry about that
1: i know your your study your study is in uh psychology my first degree was in psychology so yes i studied all of this babble and then when i did my master's i did a whole block on liberal studies and philosophy etc right so yeah i studied a lot of this and the the end result is from doing that is you constantly are reminded you're never good enough and there's always more to do and more to learn which is
0: which you can take it two ways you can be like oh bummer or for me you can get excited you can be like hey it's not there's more to be learned like there's that 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 uh that fun that you had when you first learned that first technique that 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 excitement you had when you've if you're a boxer when you first learned that how to step into your jab or if you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy that that fun that you have when you learn hey if someone's mounting me i can bridge and get them off me that excitement doesn't ever go away <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> but there the other side of that is you can always look behind you and realize even in those classes we were in there were people that hadn't taken those classes yet we were ahead of them right same in the martial arts you know you're this rank or this much time in or you've got you know, this much knowledge and you look behind you and there's someone else behind you who hasn't got to there yet. So we always have to validate our achievement levels. We do achieve every day something, even if it's just getting older, but there's an achievement level to everything as well. So it isn't always that you don't know enough or you're not enough. It's that there's always something else to learn. And it doesn't matter if it's the mat or, or you know, you as a person in general. You know, I always try to feel like I'm. I want to be a better person. That's like my ultimate goal in life. You know, I'm 62 years old, and you know, I've had a lot of luck and a lot of success, and you know, surrounded by really good people. And I constantly think, well, you know, what can I do as as a person, especially as a role model for my kids, my son Matt, my son Dean? It's like, dude, be a really good person. Think about things that you could do to help other people, you know, make sure you don't need attention to do the right thing. You know, that you're going to do it no matter what, just stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's even in the martial arts, I think now like, hey, how can I help this person out? It's not like I want to be in charge or king of anything is I'm looking around and going, hey, that person needs some help with this. Well, how I can help them out with that. So, you know, you. From our training, from our background and stuff, you take that information and eventually you get to the point where you know you can help a lot of people. So, you know, whether it's martial arts, or just life in general, there's always things that can get you to think beyond where you are right now.
0: So I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab the bus and I'm going to take a hard right and flip the bus <laughs> and say, William Chow and self-promotions okay so, <laughs>
1: no. you know when, when I wrote that paper so you're talking about what yeah. I posted on Facebook yeah right so in a historical document dump,
0: I'm looking at the William Chow documents right that are available on newspapers.com all right Glenn's and, gonna, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pause here for anybody watching um give us a sec here fun. All right. So like I said earlier, Glenn, uh, Fretichelli is joining us. Hello, Glenn. Uh, we're just going to, we're wrapping up this podcast. Um, we're talking about William Chow and self-promotions. And I'm just going to hand it over to Mitch to wrap up this last podcast real quick. So what is this? Self-promotions and William Chow. What's What's going on?
1: So I'm doing some document research and I find a bunch of articles on William Chow in the newspapers from Hawaii. And I didn't really pay any attention to him. I've had him for years. And then someone was asking me about Henry Okazaki's promotion to professor. When did he get that? I'm like, you know, I don't know. Let me start looking back. And that ended up pushing me back towards my documents that I had with with Chow. And I noticed there's this one article from 1950, and Chow's an instructor. He's got his own school, but he's an instructor. Well, then I find one in 1951, so a year later, and now these are these are advertisements that are in the newspapers. So it's not like there's some misinformation. These are advertisements from William Chow advertising his own school. So the one in 51, he's now a, a sixth degree chief instructor. And then I find one, and I believe it's either later in 51 or 52, and he's now a professor. He's still a sixth degree, but he's a professor. Then he goes the next year, I think he goes to the seventh degree professor. And then I wanna say March of 61, I'm doing this off the top of my head because this is uh, something you just sprung on me trying to try, trying to break this void this down. But anyways, <laughs> I believe it's March of 61, Chow is now a 10th degree, and then it gets better. So by December, I think it's 31st of 61, William Chow, in his advertisement, is now a 15th degree with 40 years of training. So the only problem with that is his training predates Matosi even coming back here from Japan. So, the self promoting is part of the, the Kempo, Kaju Kempo history, unfortunately. With Chow's, you can see he got one promotion from Meitose, his black belt is Shodan, and that was in 46. All the rest of the promotions, or um, unless someone can prove otherwise, as far as I can see, are self promoted. And there's no other person around that could have given him a rank but Tosi was his teacher he didn't have any other teachers that I know of or at least that are recorded so I just laid these articles out and I put a post on Facebook saying hey here's the timeline so if that helps anyone you know it doesn't take away from Chow's ability or the people he trained or you know the legacy that he left behind but if you're one of those guys that's out there pointing your finger, going, hey, hey, that guy just made himself a 10th degree and that's so wrong. Or, you know, she just made herself a ninth degree and that's wrong. Or so and so promoted them. It's really hard to throw stones when it comes to rank. It would be nice if, you know, C. Joe Imperado was born a 10th degree and handed out degrees below him his entire lifetime. It didn't work that way. William Chow was not born a 10th degree or in his case, he would have been born a 15th degree. <laughs> um, and Matosi, we have no idea where Matosi's rank authority, et cetera, came from. He could have made it up on his own. It could be a family legacy that he was carrying on, etc. We don't know where any of this stuff comes from. So when, when you're working your way from the bottom up, there's always going to be that, that, gray area of well what do we do now so you know i just think rank is one of those things that's it's a tricky subject it's really hard to talk about today or 20 years ago or 100 years ago it's just a really tricky subject
2: you know if if i I could just inject something here if we looked at the, the times right if we look back at those days when if you look at the temple line alone, 20 of the guys actually branched off and created their own system or subsystem of kimpo or created temple. Um, there was no one who ranked these guys. They were the men, right? They were the people creating. Now, I see, you know, something like Chow. Now, look at the time frame when he started to get these higher level ranks. So he wanted you know, who was on the nine? Emperor I. I'm, I'm, I'm who was on the nine back then? These guys wanted to one up and say, hey, you look back, there's also articles showing that you when know, Okazaki was um, talking about the yeah, professor Okazaki had, had, had um articles of him being a professor in the massage arts, right? And the massage therapy. The next year, Chow had the same, or Matosi had the same thing. He was now using professor and using the one. So they were one company. And even in the rain, back then, I mean, I'm sure, and these guys, they were just awesome, right? Because I don't care, what you, you look at Chow, what he did and what he created. You look at Ambrado, what he did, what he created. I don't have much to say about Matosi because I don't know, right? But you look at these guys, and they were rocking and rolling in the streets. I don't think he had to teach town anything and he can look at, they look at Emperor. So they created these arts. And these are the ranks they got. You know, Emperor did it a little different. He was recognized in Kimball first and then ranked by the KCI, um, his organization after that. So he wasn't just self-promoting. But he had the guys promoting <laughs> him, you know, how do you promote and broaden you know? So his organization gave him that elevation. The Chinese now, uh, the Suitable Culture Center, gave him um, that honor of technically in at you know Yeah, that's something, right? right. Celebrate, because basically, gentlemen, take it. all this is made up. Every, yeah. every rank, every name, every strength, every story
0: some true some not it's all there yeah what i mean that it, yeah <laughs> yeah that's pretty much um when i came to japan so i live you know as some of you know and if you've gotten this far you know i live in japan that's something that was made very apparent to me like we always feel that we have these japanese roots but you get to japan and you find that in Japan, they're very, 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 very strict about their hierarchies, how they set them, and they set them themselves, and they set the tone for that. And they're not open. Some of them are. Most of them aren't open to letting anything in from that. right? So, again, the bag goes along, this goes with um, you know, uh, social psychology, social constructs, as they say. And these are social constructs that, that we put together in martial arts. All right. That wraps up this episode. This buffet episode that we did on uh, uh George George Chang, right? We started with George Chang and then we got into some some martial arts philosophy and stylism and how it affects your your martial art, how you express it. And then we finally ended up with uh William Chow and self-promotions and any questions have again. Hey, you have comments about it, jump in YouTube. If you want to be anonymous, great. I'd love if you put your name though, like if you're not embarrassed. If you could put your name on there, if, if you're not too embarrassed, put your name on there. I'd I love to give credit to the people that said something. And again, unless you're unless you're attacking me and calling me a loser, or not using any of that kind of terminology, and even then I might mention <laughs> you anyway, but I think it's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead and put it in there and I'll definitely bring up these topics again. Thanks for catching Social Dribble Angelo. Catch you all next time. Peace.